This episode of One for Paul was brought to you by our patrons. If you'd like to support the show, then go to patreon.com slash oneforpaul. Welcome back to One for Paul, the show where I, a non-pop culturist, get inducted into the world of pop culture by my friends, co-humans, and nemeses. Joining me today is my co-human, uh, just me, just me this week. I had another guest uh, who was lined up to do to do something, and they couldn't do it because they got sick. And I'm sorry if you're listening; you know who you are, and I hope you're I hope you're better soon. So, welcome to the legend of cabbage, the story of a put upon cabbage merchant in the Avatar universe who just can't seem to catch a break. I mean, welcome to the legend of Korra, a show where I'd never seen. I'd never seen this, despite Avatar being, I think, maybe my actual favorite show of all time. I mean, legit favorite show. So it is weird to me that I never sought this out, despite thinking, man, I wish there were more like this. And I guess because prior to watching it, I I know, I don't know very much about it. I know that it wasn't super well received at the time, uh, but some people really love it. And when I mentioned to a couple of people that I know that I hadn't seen it, they they did the traditional what? Like all caps what? And then told me things like, no, 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 Korra is life. So I decided, hey, you know what? Uh, it's 2020 and, you know, it can't get any worse by watching a show that turns out to be not one that I like. So let's watch one that I'm not sure I will like. Let's watch Korra, Legend of Korra. Season one, episode one, welcome to Republic City. Fade in. To a reasonably familiar intro with uh, four elements and whatnot, and our narrator, Aang's son, uh, who sounds like a grown man, filling us in on the events of after Avatar ended. Looks like the four nations united as a republic, like a single world republic, uh, where the benders and non-benders would live together and thrive together. You know, like they like they did in Avatar for most for most of the time. And uh, the capital of the Republic is named Republic City, which is, um, I mean, the old show had names of places like Ba Sing Se, and those were great inventive names. But then they also had names like uh, Fire Capital, you know, Fire Nation Capital, I'm pretty sure was just called Fire Nation Capital, unless there was like a comic or something I never read. But I don't remember it having a name, so I'm, I'm giving that one a pass. That's that's fine. There is a giant bronze statue of Aang in the middle of the harbor. Uh, this story takes place, I guess, after Aang has died. Just like, I guess, of old age. It's a peaceful time, because uh, that's where Avatar left off after Aang and Zuko, who is now the Fire Lord. I guess not now the Fire Lord, but yeah, anyway. Anyway, we, we all know what happened in Avatar, or if we don't, then uh, spoilers, sorry. So cut to our actual first scene, where three wise men following a light through a blizzard to a Water Nation village, where we learn that they're with the White Lotus, uh, which was like a secret organization uh, that included super powerful people in aid of the Avatar back in Avatar. So I guess they're still around. Uh, their current job is to find the Avatar, and uh, the Avatar promptly announces herself by shouting, I'm the Avatar! You've gotta deal with it! Which, uh, as introductions go, I mean, let's recall uh, Aang's introduction as the Avatar was, wait, 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 I just saw you bend more than one element. That makes you the Avatar. Why didn't you tell us? 
And he sort of sadly looks down and says, because I never wanted to be. Compare that to this, where this um, five-year-old, four-year-old is just super hyped to be like, yeah, totally, I'm the Avatar, let's go. I can bend all three elements. I mean, she can't do air yet, but that's understandable, I guess, because what we learn later. But, you know, I just tonally, I'm like, I don't know who she's talking to even. Like, is she talking to the ob- to the audience? Maybe she's talking to the audience because, like, not nah, she, she, the Avatar is a girl this time. Deal with it. I don't know if I needed that to be because I'm quite happy to have uh, to have a lady Avatar. I think that's a really cool direction to take it in. I, you know, no reason the Avatar has to be a boy. I, I, I don't know why I need to be yelled at for <laughs> for that. And I don't think she's yelling at the White Lotus guys because they're they're actually there at the South Pole. Turns out they're at the South Pole. Like, the, everybody's fine with her being the avatar. Uh, I don't know who, why she's in it. All right. Anyway, I, maybe she's also just five and she's like, that's who I am. Chill. And we're like, all right, that's fine too. Uh, she can already use the three elements too, which is, you know, that took Aang a while. And here's this, you know, toddler, not toddler, I guess, I guess preschool age, just doing stuff. So cut forward in time now to a seemingly teenage or maybe early 20s Korra sparring with two firebenders who she promptly dispatches. I guess she is just real, real good at fighting. Though according to her teachers, she's good at fighting, but not so great at the spiritual side of being the Avatar. Uh, which I guess is the part that we're, we're being set up to think, all right, well, she's going to not struggle with the with the physical war side, because we've established that this is a peaceful place. She's going to struggle, that her main struggle is going to be the learning to be a spiritual leader and not like a, not a person who fights real good. Uh, one of her teachers is Kitara, who's from Avatar. She was the waterbender. Uh, now she is an old woman, though. It gives us an idea of the time frame. And they agree to get her training airbending with Tenzin, who will, uh, who I guess he's going to show up there a couple of days. So in the meantime, she goes riding out on her polar bear dog, Naga, uh, which does mean snake, I think, but that's fine. It's a cool name. Tenzin does arrive. He arrives on a sky bison, uh, which exists for some reason. I, It's been a minute, but I could have sworn that Appa was the last sky bison. But I mean, I guess in this... There were more than one, and they reproduced somehow. Like, I okay, I can I can accept that, I suppose. Tenzin has three kids, uh, one of whom looks like he's straight out of Ed, Ed, and Eddie. And while we're here, Kid One, uh, Jinora, asks Kitara what happened to Zuko's mum after Avatar. So I guess, but I guess we don't get to find that out, because one of the other kids interrupts her and says just kid stuff and asks a bunch of, like, questions about stuff. Like, Grandma, Grand Grandma, why are you so old? Which, you know, it's kid stuff, whatever. But I guess audience-wise, we just don't get to learn about that last loose thread from the Avatar, from Avatar then. I I kind of would have liked a little section, maybe a few seasons on, where we might learn about that. But I guess this is the writers telling us, no, nah, we're, we're not doing that. Which, I, all right. I mean, so far, the tone seems quite aggressive to to me as a as a fan of the original series because like that's what brought me 
to this series and it's like the writers are telling me no 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 we're we're not doing any of that we're this whole new thing get used to it i'm going i mean i oh, i got my attitude i guess is i was looking forward to a new thing anyway uh so i'm a little maybe audiences at the time were less receptive maybe they really needed to have it driven home that no nah, she's a girl so you're going to have to deal with that whereas I guess contemporary today, I'm, I'm super into it actually. Like I don't, you know, she can be a girl. That's great. In fact, I could see there being a lot of cool differences in how you do the storytelling on that basis. And I wonder how the, how the interactions between things in this universe change based on that. And that'd be kind of neat to see. But it turns out that Tenzin isn't staying for long because I guess his plan before was he was going to stay at the South Pole and train, um, I was going to say Katara, no, uh, train Korra in airbending. But that's not going to happen because he has to go straight back to Republic City the next day because he's a leader of the city. I guess there's a council or something. And uh, the situation there is, as he puts it, unstable. Uh, the obvious answer for Korra is that, well, you know, why don't I just move to the city? But but White Lotus Man seems concerned that me she might be in danger there. You know the the person who just dispatched two expert firebenders on her own. She might be in danger in the city. All right. I mean, so I guess there's overprotective older people, and oh no, you're not a, you're not ready to do stuff yet, and that that's a common theme in sort of young adult stuff. I, I totally get that. Uh, this 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 guy's attitude, at least. So Korra uh, decides to sneak out and just leave to Republic City on her own. Uh, Kitara supports this decision, citing that it's time for the young people to take charge of the world, which uh, would be nice to see in real life, but I don't think anyone's ever actually said that. I think a lot of people get old and they reckon, like, well, no, we've learned enough where the old people should still be in charge, so... I don't know, it'd be, I guess looking back on my 20s, it would have been nice for somebody to be like, okay, now you guys in your 20s and 30s are in charge now, so we've thought you everything you can do, so go. Oh well. Cut to a steamship where Korra has stowed away. I guess we're in something like the 1920s then, uh, since there's like an old-timey car in there, and also arriving at Republic City, this is clearly, this is just New York. Like, down to the bridge, down to the way the islands are... This is just New York, right? I think at one point we get to see a map, too. And it's just New York. So, anyway, it looks like the Air Temple is, like, right there in the harbor uh, on a little island. But first, it's time to grab a bite to eat, because the dog bear is hungry. Uh, Cora, however, doesn't understand how streets work. Um, it just causes a couple of real bad car accidents, and it just doesn't even look back. Uh, and she also shows up at a street vendor, asks for one of everything, and I guess expects just to be given it, because she doesn't have any money. Uh, vendor is not terribly impressed, of course, uh, so in an attempt to get something to eat, Cora goes fishing in Central Park. I mean, whatever this park is called. Republic Park? It's probably called Republic Park. Everything's Republic something. Uh, and she meets a colorful homeless guy while there. So she gets an education in... Yeah, well, I thought that everybody in the city was living it up. And, you know, the vagabond man is going, hey, well, you know, all right, welcome to the welcome to the city. This is what it's like. 
when she's told off by a uh, police officer, Cora does the only logical thing and uh, just runs away. Because she's not allowed to fish there. What would happen if everybody fished there? The whole thing would run out of fish. She then finds a peaceful anti-bender protest uh, by a group calling themselves the Equalists, uh, who are saying, you know, benders are causing all kinds of harm and they're putting us down. And she decides to yell at them about, like, no, bending's totally the coolest thing ever. So the crowd turns against her because, of course, she's a bender and uh, she sort of vaguely threatens them kind of or she's she's sort of goaded into implying that she might harm them for saying what they're saying so she's really not good at politics or speaking or understanding argumentation which you would have thought in her in her education as an avatar this is the sort of thing that would have come up though i guess her teachers also did say yeah you've always been good at the physical side but you're not very good at the other bit and you know It's not that she doesn't care, it's that it doesn't come naturally to her, and like a lot of naturally talented people in one area, they really do neglect a lot of the other stuff that would round them out in their skill set. And yeah, I I totally get that. And I like this this aspect of her. It leads to, it feels like it's going to lead to a lot of cool uh, developments later, like her, you know, her, she's not going to get in trouble by fighting, she's going to get in trouble by running her mouth or something. And that's going to cause all kinds of stuff where it's like, well, the whole city doesn't like me now, and it's not like I can fight people not liking me. Not not with firebending. Cut over again to Korra, who is lost somewhere and asks for directions to the air temple. But, uh-oh, some gangsters show up to collect their protection money. And these guys are benders, and they're using their bending to extort people, and I guess they're part of a gang called the Triple Triads. So Korra decides to intervene in this. And the gangsters bend at her, and this goes about as well for them as you'd expect. Uh, Though in the fighting, Korra does a whole lot of property damage. Like, uh, she she earthbends the public street, which can't be... That's going to take a minute to repair. Even with bending, probably it takes a minute to level it out and all that. Uh, She flings one of them through a shop window, and as as the gangsters try to escape in their car, Korra causes the car to crash through another shop. So the police show up to arrest the gangsters, but also arrest Cora because she just did all that property damage. So, you know, yeah, they, she should be arrested and questioned for, like, what the fuck were you doing? Uh, so now she decides the only logical thing to do is to flee from the police, causing yet more property damage as she does so, and also just uh, kicks one of the officers in the face as he tries to apprehend her and puts up a wall of ice in front of another guy. So... Finally, they do catch her by uh, using a blimp and uh, grappling at her. Oh yeah, there's blimps in this universe, which I'm I'm always in for a good zeppelin. Frankly, <laughs> I'm always good. I'm always in for a good zeppelin. That's a t-shirt. So, cut to the police station where the chief here is not terribly impressed by Cora, uh, and Tenzin arrives. Well, first I should say the chief is not terribly impressed for a number of reasons. First, because of all of the obvious, like, property damage and resisting arrest. But also because the Avatar just showed up in her city and started doling out vigilante justice. That's not the way that it works. Uh, you know, this sort of stuff could go on in Avatar because, first of all, the setting was, uh, call it pre-industrial. 
or, you know, just about pre-industrial. So you, you could be like, all right, the who exactly is the authority in this town? It's like one sheriff and he's Fire Nation, so he's going to be whatever. So if something's wrong, we can just deal with it. That's not really the case in a post-industrial or I guess in a in a steampunk industrial city. And Korra hasn't quite grokked onto this. So Tenzin arrives uh, to the holding cell where Korra is being questioned, and he is also not terribly impressed. But he gets uh, Chief Lin Beifong, I guess her name is, Lin Beifong, to drop the charges anyway. So Lin Beifong, the chief here, is the daughter of Toph from uh, the original Avatar. That's uh, the, the blind earthbender, for those of you who haven't watched it for a while. And I guess Korra is sitting there going like, yeah, but like our parents were super close friends. Why are you arresting me? This makes no sense. But of course, the chief is making the point that I made, which is you came into the city, doled out vigilante justice, and also just smashed up a couple of shops and public roads. So no, I'm not. No, don't do that. I don't care if our parents were friends. Fuck that. So Tenzin uh, convinces the chief to drop all the charges anyway because he'll pay for it uh and the chief agrees to this because i guess the you know the political flack for arresting the avatar or like imprisoning or putting on trial the avatar has got to be kind of that's going to be a little dicey but yeah you want to talk about you want to give uh political ammunition to people who think that you you got like you're putting down on them and you got privilege over them also turns out the Avatar can't be arrested or held responsible for her actions. So, yeah, I mean, I could see that coming back to bite them. I, I, I mean, like, I don't mind this stuff so much if this stuff is going to come back and bite her, but it's weird that our hero did all this bullshit. So, in the conversation with Tenzin, Korra believes that from what she saw of the city, it is totally out of whack, which has which she's concluded after, like, one day of wandering about the city. So, for reference, the exact reason that Tenzin wanted her to stay away in the South Pole for a while longer, because the situation was unstable, and she gets there and goes, dude, the situation here is real unstable. What he should say is, yeah, I know, that's why I wanted you to stay at the South Pole. I'm perfectly aware that it's unstable. <laughs> I use the word unstable to you. Uh, yet somehow he is convinced that Korra is needed here for, like, I guess he just changes his mind or over the last couple of days, however long it took to get to Republic City, he's been giving it some thought anyway. So it's not clear exactly what his reasoning is, but he decides to let her stay uh, and he's going to teach her airbending at, uh, at the little island compound that they got in the middle of the harbor. Also, his kids are there. And uh, they all hug, and the dog bear hugs them, and Tenzin, uh, reluctantly, it looks like, hugs it out with them, and hooray. Hooray. The the hero is where she's going to be for, I guess, the next season or something. So, or at least a couple episodes, who knows. Uh, the very next day, Korra is put on, like, a, to, to, like, a giant public speech and press conference to the city, and seemingly no press training at all because she sort of stumbles around. Someone just put her on a on a platform, put her on a lectern there, and and just put some mics around and said, just just answer some questions. I'm sure it'll be fine. Which I alright, I don't know if that's ever been a good idea. 
but that that's fine. Uh, cut to Amon, the guy from the Equalist poster. Uh, the poster had like a dude in a mask or just a kabuki mask looking thing on it. Uh, so he uh, he was the guy on the peaceful protest sign and uh, literature, I guess. And he's got this intense, threatening voice, like some sort of evil plan, evil man, and wears a mask and a hood like some sort of evil mask hood man. And that's how we know that he is now the big bad guy for the show. And that's just as well because this is where the episode ends. So fade to, fade to credits. This is so, so different to Avatar The Last Airbender. It is. It feels so different. So first off, I really like the idea of a young woman being the Avatar I, I've said that a couple of times here, but I, I want to stress again, I really, really like this idea of not let's not follow the 12-year-old learning how to grow up. Let's follow the young woman learning how to be an adult and how the world works. That's kind of a neat thing. I also like the possibilities of the new setting through like, honestly, 1920s New York, I, it's not a compelling setting on its own for me personally, but it's... Uh, I totally get it, and I'm in. Uh, it's it's a cool setting. I like the sort of the industrial tilt to it, where a lot of what used to be done by benders is now done by technology. So I I love this in a lot of ways. Though I I gotta stress again, it's weird to see the Avatar being like being presented as this vigilante, out of control criminal effectively who like just assaults people for the crime of trying to arrest her for assaulting people and she resists arrest and i i don't i guess i preferred it i go on a lot about this one scene because that that's a lot of character development in a short amount of time i guess i'd have preferred it if she dispatched the gang members without damaging stuff and still got told off for vigilanteism like that that would be the the whole running away from lawful authority seems out of place for this character. Like if she had beaten the guys to the ground without any without any like shop window busting or without any running away from the police, the police could still have shown up and been like, "Yeah, listen, thanks, but next time just call us first, okay?" <laughs> like at that point, she could be like, "It was self defense. I was defending these guys." And she go, "Okay, yeah, but listen, next time, don't <laughs> right, don't because these guys, we." Uh, maybe some sort of police procedural uh, tilt to it where the police are like, the fact that you took vigilante justice means we're less likely to get a conviction because we're a society of laws. And like, if you want to be a witness, fine, tell us what happened. We'll investigate it. We'll arrest them and you can show up and be a witness. That's great. Do that next time. But don't do this shit. Like, that would have been a nice telling off, as opposed to, you broke the fucking street open, who the fuck is going to pay for that, you? Moving away from- so moving away from that, the the change in setting also strikes me as a way to set up a story where violence is not going to solve the world's problems. Uh, like, in Avatar, the threat was literal war. So when you have to fight, a, when people are going to be firing guns at you, you kind of have to defend yourself with violence. That's the way it works. Korra's threat 
seems to be the balance of the world, whatever that is. But I mean, that's the problem, isn't it? Because we don't, I don't know what is being balanced here exactly. So until they clarify that, I don't know what the stakes are and I don't know what her motivation is. Other than, uh, I guess we must learn later what it is, but like, it seems like if you're going to say the city is out of whack, it would be nice to know what it looks like when it is in whack. Like, what does in whack look like? So after episode one of Avatar, I knew exactly what the conflict was going to be going forward, who the main characters are, and the sort of earnest character of the storytelling that was established, right? After episode one of Korra, I'm... So I guess the conflict is between benders and non-benders in the city, uh, about, like, their relative political power or perception of... um, of uh, unequal status, but also uh, the conflict could be between balance, whatever is being balanced and not balanced, and the forces that want things to be unbalanced uh, or are just causing them to be. And then there's also an authority versus freedom, maybe, but that's not being shown very well because, again, I'm harping on about this, but again... It's not that she's less free, it's that, like, no, don't bust up people's shops and expect them to be cool with it, even if you did catch the guy, and even then, it's not your job, right? If you want to be a cop, join the force, that would be great. We'd love to have the Avatar as a police officer, probably. But, you know, that's not what she chose to do. Uh, And then I'm not sure who our main characters are, even, Uh, besides Korra and Tenzin, maybe the police chief, uh, who I quite like, but also only... I only think she might be a main character because she's introduced as Toph's daughter and she was a main character in the previous show. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know exactly what to do, what to think here. So I, 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 there's a lot that's just not clear to me. The setup is not as strong as it was in Avatar. So all in all, I'm kind of conflicted here. On paper, I like the setup. I like the setting. I like the characters for the most part. I like the change of focus from uh, change towards balance by fighting a war to change towards balance by peaceful means. But the details are kind of putting me off. Like, I did end up watching a bunch more episodes in season one after this, uh, full disclosure, but I may, you know, I may cover a few of those episodes later on too. But for now, I can say that after this first episode, I'm kind of not sure what I'm watching, and I hope that the somewhat clumsy intro leads to something a bit more substantial later on. And maybe it's unfair to be saying, oh, well, you know, it was like Avatar, but you put the word Avatar on it. And I I guess I'm looking at this first episode and wondering how this was made by the same people who made uh, Tales of Ba Sing Se and Sozin's Comet, which to me are two of the best things that have ever been put on TV, maybe in all of media, as far as I've seen. Uh, but I also get that it took two and three seasons, respectively, of developing the show to get to Tales of Bossing Say and Sozin's Comet. So, you know, maybe I shouldn't be so hasty. Maybe I shouldn't expect this show to, to throw everything out on episode one. I, I guess my feeling after this first episode is that I'm 
concerned about how different it, it feels, uh, even if it does intrigue me a bit. And I, I'm hoping that the writers and the animators just, they got back to form quickly, because it's aside from anything else, it's a gorgeous show. It looks fabulous. And, uh, and you know, uh, I'm hoping... I'm hoping it gets good because I'm I'm planning to watch some more of it. So thank you for bearing with me on this solo episode of One for Paul. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you have any thoughts about this, if you if you want to tell me what you think about Korra and all of your favorite episodes, maybe you have advice for me on, hey, maybe avoid these episodes, maybe watch from this point instead, that sort of thing, then totally hit me up on Twitter. You can find me there at one for Paul. And if you'd like to support the show, then you can do that at patreon.com slash one for Paul, where for as little as a price of a cup of coffee, you can help keep the show going. Uh, every little bit really does help. Uh, even just on a morale basis, it, it helps me know that there's somebody out there who's counting on me to get them the show. And it would mean the world to me, honestly. Thank you so much. Enjoy your week, and as always, peace.